You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Hey, hey, this is the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your friendly neighborhood sexologist and relationship expert, Jess O'Reilly, here with Mr. Brandon Ware. I'm here too. Yeah, for sure. And uh, thank you for being here. Thank you to Desire Resorts for your ongoing support of this podcast. We're having a good time with it. Desire Resorts has multiple locations on the Mayan Riviera where Brandon hangs out with his wang out. Thanks for that. Like, I make it out like I get there and strip down in, in like 10 seconds. You chill out with your dill out. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, what else you got? You hunk out, with your, out with your... Yeah. Rock out Hunk out with your junk out. Okay. Rock out with your cock out. There's a story as to why I can't use the word cock very well. It's probably the first time I've ever said it. Yeah. Here. Super awkward. So <laughs> thank you again. Check them out, desireresorts.com and Desire Experience. Now, we were off last week because I was traveling. I was in Vancouver and Denver and Toronto and Jamaica for workshops and speeches and as hard as I tried, I just couldn't squeeze in a podcast and I get super frustrated with myself, but can only do what you can do. It's been a busy six weeks. I was counting it up and I've had 22 speeches, 18 direct flights, so not even connections. I've been in eight countries, many, How many more. Miles? How many air miles? I think I've earned at least... 45,000 status miles with uh, altitude. And that doesn't count the flights on the non-Star Alliance brand. So I'm a little obsessed with my air miles. Just a touch in case you don't follow her. Yeah, but I, I really like flying. And Brendan didn't ask the more important question. How many Dreamliner flights? Actually, the Dreamliner is a really nice plane. I don't know if people makes know. It makes a big difference when you fly that plane. Yeah, it's the 787 and it flies, it pressurizes 2,000 feet lower than the average plane. So a normal plane is generally pressurized at about 8,000 feet above sea level and it pressurizes at 6,000 and they keep the humidity higher. They have a HEPA filter. So it's a comfortable flight. You don't even know you're taking off. No, you know, it just doesn't feel as bad. Well, I don't notice it. And it, they have those extra large windows that don't have retractable shades. They just have buttons, so you lower and... It's the future. It's the future. It's the Jetsons. <laughs> <laughs> well, today we're talking about not flying, but we're going to talk about herpes because herpes has been in the news this week. I came across a, a piece suggesting that gene editing technology may eventually lead to a cure for herpes, now her herpes is an STI, a sexually transmitted infection. It's caused by the HSV virus, and HSV1 tends to be associated with oral herpes, or what we often call cold sores. I, ha I get cold sores. Yeah, so do I. I'm not particularly self-conscious about them. I'm super self-conscious when I get a cold sore. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I load up on drugs. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I'm not... As I mean, I don't like them. They're uncomfortable, and... They're not my, the prettiest thing. I had one last week. It happens. I don't even feel like anybody notices it but me. It's like when you chip your tooth. If you ever chipped your tooth or done anything around your mouth, it feels like I chipped my tooth once and I felt like I chipped six teeth. Mm. Like it just, anyway. 
objects in mouth are yeah, smaller than they coming. appear. <laughs> uh, so HSV is associated with oral and then, sorry, HSV1. And HSV2 tends to be associated with genital herpes. But HSV1, so what we typically consider the cold sore strain, it actually can be spread from the mouth to the genitals through oral sex. So some cases of genital herpes are caused by HSV1. So when we think about herpes, herpes is very common. The CDC reports that more than one in six adults between the ages of 14 and 49 has HSV2, so the strain more commonly associated with genital herpes. And one in two, about half of us, have HSV1, so the strain that is more commonly associated with cold sores but can also lead to genital herpes and currently there's there's no cure for herpes but you know medication can ease the symptoms and lower the risk of transmission and so I was reading about this gene editing approach which involves using mega nucleuses sound like a scientist I know mega nuclei remember nu- remember coloring Nuclei. the nucleus yeah. and the mitochondria in biology class I do yeah, so they use meganucleuses to go in and attack a targeted area where the virus lives. So in the case of herpes, it's it's quite good at hiding. So the virus lives and hides hides from the immune system in the ganglia. So the HSV1 tends to live close to the, our ear and then HSV2 or genital herpes tends to live in the dorsal root ganglia. So this is these are um balls of neuronal cell bodies that are hidden. So one is near the ear and then one is down by by our sides, near our, I guess near our hips. And so the researchers say that they're still a long way off from a cure, but they do believe they can find one in our lifetime. And I think it's interesting that they're doing this research, but partly because herpes is not a particularly threatening virus in terms of how it affects most people's daily lives. And most people find that with herpes, it's the social stigma that is way worse than the symptoms themselves. You know, over a period of time, people with herpes, your outbreaks tend to be less common and, and less intense. I was going to say that I think the stigma is probably the biggest. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure that the, the symptoms and are very, they could be painful, they could be uncomfortable, but I feel like there's a real social stigma associated with it. Well, even with cold sores, you said you feel quite self-conscious. So if the cold sore was like, I don't know, under your arm where nobody would see it, would it bother you? No, wouldn't bother me as much. It's just like, bam, right there. Everybody knows. Yeah. And, you know, herpes is, it's the butt of so many jokes. It's framed as this, you know, ultimate marker of, and absurdly so, uh, it's a marker of poor moral compass or sexual hygiene. And this is, this is so absurd. Uh, it's harmful to the self-esteem and to the to the psychological health of so many people. I've wanted to make a joke since you started this, hmm. in all seriousness, hmm. because of we jo- you know Hermes, mm-hmm. the store. I wanted to maybe class it class it up a little bit and call it Herpes. Right, and these jokes take a toll because you know if we put six of us in a room. There's yeah. this probability that one of us is living with it. And so we need to be all be more, more sensitive. Now, joining us today to talk about dating after a diagnosis from the moment of disclosure to the long-term aftercare is 
Courtney Brame, founder of Something Positive for Positive People and Dating Positives spokesperson. Thanks for being here, Courtney. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I'm, I'm interested in your podcast, in your work, and mostly in your journey. How did you find yourself working in the field at the, where you are at this point in time? Um, so something positive for positive people is a podcast, which is just a lot of resources for people who need emotional aftercare after an SCD diagnosis, because, um, a lot of medical professionals will diagnose you with an SCI and treat you, um, practically, you know, give you the medication that you need and submit, uh, or send you off with information for the SCD. And then, Afterwards, you're kind of left on your own with a lot of Google searching or figuring out how to manage it afterwards. So uh, the podcast itself began two years ago, um, but the beginning of the whole story here of how it started was about seven years ago when I was diagnosed with genital HSV2. So I spent uh, four or five years in and out of the same relationships uh, just because it was easy. It was much easier to not have to worry about having to have the disclosure conversation. And then after that, I found myself out in the dating world and having to deal with disclosing. And eventually I came across uh, dating sites for people who were living with SCIs. And one of the early interactions that I had on there was with someone who had tested positive for herpes as well. This is someone who was already in a relationship, was in their career, and it really seemed like it was something that wouldn't affect her at all, but she was more so looking for experience from a male perspective so that she could prepare herself and her partner for um, when or if he were to test positive for genital herpes. If he were to have an outbreak or begin to show symptoms, she just wanted to be prepared because he was very, uh, just not really worried about it until it came up. So she was very obsessive about it. And she and I ended up becoming uh, what I thought pretty good friends. And um, she confessed to me, she confided in me that at some point she had contemplated suicide. And to me, that was just weird. But I noticed after hearing it that time, it's kind of like when you see uh, there's a car you want and you're like, oh, I want this red Volkswagen. And then everywhere you go, you see a red Volkswagen. And <laughs> I began to just see in a lot of the online communities that I was a part of uh, that there were many people who wanted to, who at least considered committing suicide after an HSV diagnosis. And at the time it was like, you know, one of the worst things, and it takes hindsight for me to realize this, but one of the worst things that you can say to somebody is it's not that big a deal. It's not the end of the world. And I had to unfortunately learn this, but uh, one of the things that I found to be useful was not my experience saying, well, you know, here's what I'm going through and it is not that bad, but what I did was uh, I reached out to some of the local communities that I was in and just asked if anyone would be willing to have a conversation with me and allow me to record it and share with this particular individual. Um, so I found a lady. Um, it's the first episode of Something Positive for Positive People. It's called, Oh, You Have Herpes? Well, My Legs Don't Work. <laughs> so um, Amy was someone who was married. Um, her husband cheated on her and she ended up testing positive for herpes and he left. So she tells that whole entire story. And from that point, I got to, we were face to face and I got to see just how 
this was maybe the first time that she had spoken to anyone about it. And you could see her mood change from being nervous. She had notes. She was so prepared. And we laughed. We cried a little bit. We got sad. But ultimately, at the end of it, you saw that her spirits were lifted just from talking about it. So from there, um, I took the podcast. I sent it to her. And I started sending it to a couple of other people who may have expressed uh, that they wanted to commit suicide. And um, after sharing it a few places, other people wanted to get involved with it and just share their story. It began as people sharing anonymously um, of just talking about what their experience has been. And it was just something to show people that you can have a completely normal life after a positive STI diagnosis. So um from there uh, we got all kinds of stories from people who specifically were living with herpes in the beginning and then it kind of branched out into uh people with hiv and aids hpv um and that's where we are now and people telling their stories must help to not only destigmatize but the shroud of secrecy is so powerful and scary that just speaking the words must be freeing for so many people, not only hearing other people's stories, but being able to tell your own. Yes, absolutely. So when people, I'm finding that people, when they express it and they hear themselves say a lot of the things that they say about themselves or what they believe to be true about themselves out loud, they begin to, you, you can kind of see it in their faces that they are beginning to question or challenge their beliefs about that. And a lot of times when people are diagnosed, we tend to associate ourselves with the herpes stigma and we look at it as, oh, you know, you're dirty, you're gross, you aren't safe. And these are the things that we attach our identity to. And that's how we begin to just see ourselves. Right. And of course, you're more than your, your diagnosis. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in talking to the people I've spoken to, uh, they come to realize that just through asking the questions about, well, what else was going on? And this is interesting because I'm not a psychologist or I'm not in any way, shape or form uh, a therapist or anyone who can diagnose people with anything. But when I talk to people and I see that a lot of the uh, a lot of what's affecting them is based on what's around the herpes diagnosis specifically. So it's not really the diagnosis itself. It's usually um, some something along the lines of like, okay, well, I was in and out of abusive relationships or I was surrounded by toxic people. And when you begin to work on those things, you start to realize that you, you see the truth about herpes and it's just, oh, the worst thing to most people about herpes is the stigma itself. And it's not that this is who you are. It's more so of um, you, you, you just have to deal with all of those things around it. I'm so curious about everything, uh, the power of discussing it and, and, and just putting it out there. But how did it change any of your relationships, like friends, men or women that you had pre-existing and then after you came out and said, listen, I, this is my diagnosis. This is what I have. Did, it, did anybody change how they interacted with you? No, surprisingly. And I'll say that if anything, I think that it opened the door for better connections with the people who were around me. Um, when I first was diagnosed, there were just a handful of people who I told initially um, when I was asked, I wanted to know where it came from. So after asking anyone sexually involved with, no one said that they had it. So it's like, hey, you know, I was just diagnosed with herpes. Do you have it? 
Um, I just wanted to make sure that you know. And everyone said no. So I was like, okay, well, I don't really have a finger to point at anyone. And um, after that, uh, just dealing with the first few people I disclosed to, which were just, you know, recent partners of people who've already known me, um, I was in those relationships. And there really wasn't a reason for me to have to tell anyone. So I just didn't. <laughs> I didn't look for any support groups. Um, I managed the any outbreak that I may have had. I had medication uh, on hand for it. So if I had an outbreak, I would just take the medication and we'd be good in two, three days. Um, and the first person I wanted to disclose to, or I went to disclose to, was probably my best friend. Um, I remember we, <laughs> we were playing uh, video games online and he told me, he said, man, I got a girl pregnant. We were at the time. And I go, well, at least it ain't herpes. And we <laughs> kind of laughed about that for a little while. But uh, that was just how that first disclosure went for me, or one of the first disclosures went for me. Uh, and it was, it didn't change our relationship. You know, he had a few questions about it. And more than anything, we talked about his situation about uh, having children. But um, I began to, I, I learned, and this is again in hindsight, but as time went on and I began to disclose to people around me, after disclosing, I think that they were, they realized a lot of things made sense. So uh, while I was dating, for example, we'd, I'd go out with groups of friends and we'd be socializing and I would be weird around women. And it, it, I hate that it took for me to have hindsight in order to realize this, but it was one of those things where it gets to a certain point in the interaction and then I'd just be like, uh, I don't want to have to worry about telling this person that I have herpes in order to move forward. So I'm going to just like subconsciously talk myself out of this interaction. But for the most part, every friend that I've disclosed to, no one's judged. And since opening up about doing this podcast uh, publicly, I've gotten nothing but positive feedback, you know, which was very surprising to me because I did uh, initially think that I would get a lot of criticism or people would look at me different, but I was met with more me too's than I expected. I was met with a lot of just um, positivity and people began to share the podcast with people they knew who had herpes or just asked me to talk to someone. And a lot of it just became, it, it was the relationships just uh, they deepened because I was able to connect with so many more people on a deeper level. That's really interesting. But how how has it changed uh, dating or casual sex? Like, I mean, how has it changed that for you personally when you're thinking about getting into a relationship or going out? Only because I'm thinking about it as, you know, somebody who's younger, who's diagnosed. And then, like you said before, how catastrophic it can feel. Um, how did it? How did that change for you once you had the diagnosis? So once it, what changed for me was I don't think I've ever had the conversation about STIs before I had an STI. And you would think that it would be the complete opposite way to where mm -hmm. like, okay, I don't want to get an STI, so I'm going to have this conversation. Right. But it was after my diagnosis, it, it became like a moral responsibility to disclose and then begin to ask questions. And oftentimes people who have herpes will begin to, to turn it on themselves to be like, oh my God, I don't want to disclose that I have herpes because the other person could reject me. And you find yourself in this state of like empowerment because you are aware of what your status is. And you can now ask people, okay, well, um, 
are, when's the last time you've been tested for any STI? I was exactly. tested and I have genital herpes or whatever it is that you're living with. And it begins that conversation. And that's a conversation we should all be having regardless of status. And I think it's a very important note to highlight that we do not talk about stuff until something is awry. And we see the same thing in so many different facets of our relationship. Couples don't get help with their relationships until they've been struggling with an issue for a very long time. They don't talk about finances until it becomes a fight. They don't talk about sexual expectations until the conflict or mismatch arises when in fact we should all be talking about these things from the onset so it sounds like your diagnosis has taught you to be a better sexual communicator probably beyond simply safer sex oh for sure for sure and it's opened the door for a much more um intimate for much more intimate relationships, um, not just sexually, but you, when you are living with something that there's shame around, there's a time period where you want to feel people out and decide whether or not they're worth disclosing to. So is this someone who I see myself becoming physically intimate with? And now you have to like ask questions and get to know someone and pay attention to them, uh, their mannerisms. You're, you become more picky. If you use this thing in the right way, you definitely become more picky with your partners and you establish connections that are deeper than just a physical level oftentimes before you move into it now don't get me wrong there are definitely people who you know would rather or there are opportunities that present themselves to hook up but for the most part um i'll say that the diagnosis has taught me to have very uncomfortable or uncomfortable conversations with people and really get to know who they are I love that. I love the the fact that it's forcing it's forced you to have uncomfortable conversations, but you're saying you've taken so much positive out of that. And that seems to be this underlying trend with everything revolving around sex and relationships is pushing the boundaries of these conversations often results in such fruitful uh, outcomes. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate that you're seeing more value in yourself and saying, is this person worth the emotional investment for me? Whereas perhaps when people are first diagnosed, they are not feeling as worthy. They're feeling this personal shame. They feel that perhaps they should stay in a relationship that isn't fulfilling for them because they don't want the hassle of or the fear or the risk of disclosing to someone new, which really devalues themselves. So I, I really appreciate that emphasis on assigning greater value to yourself because you have to invest in a different way. And when you when you talk about disclosure, I know that there is not one right way to disclose, but I'd love to hear your insights on what works for you. So I will say that it it depends on the person. It depends on who you are and what you're most comfortable with. Uh, for me, I've been with my current partner for almost a year and a half now. And when I disclosed to her, it was over a text message. And I've had much experience in what works and doesn't work as far as disclosures go. But for her, um, I was already doing this podcast. And so what I tried to do was get her to ask me about it. And she just wouldn't. So I was like, yeah, you know, I got to do this thing. And she's like, oh, well, that thing must be important. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be talking to people, interviewing someone. She goes, oh, well, good luck with it. I hope it works. And she just wouldn't ask. So I had to just come out with it. Uh, later on in the conversation, I just went, hey, I see that you're someone that I like. 
Um, and I think that the feeling is mutual. So before you fall madly in love with me, because I'm a super <laughs> awesome person, I want to make sure that I give you a choice that wasn't given to me. And I wish I saved the text message, but I know that that was somewhere in there that I want to give you the choice that was not given to me before it becomes too challenging for you to make a choice that you really want to make. I have genital HSV2, which is the virus that causes uh, herpes outbreaks. And here's what it means for me. And here's what it means for you. Should we decide to move forward physically uh, with an intimate relationship? And I hit send on that text message. I was at my grandmother's house. I was playing devil may cry. And my mom was sitting on the couch. I remember this so vividly. And my mom was like, what's wrong with you? I was like, I just had to send that text <laughs> and she knew what I was talking about. So, and that's just the kind of relationship my mother and I have. So what seems like hours was actually maybe 15 minutes that went by. She sends a long text response back. And ultimately she was just saying, you know, I have it too. Here's, I understand this is what I go through. I know how challenging this conversation can be to have, but I also have it. And so you can imagine we got together very shortly after that. And I think that was a day that we probably started dating. <laughs> Interesting. And so it is, it's a fairly common virus when we look at HSV, whether it be HSV one or two. And so when you even look at the numbers, it's not, it, it's fairly likely that somebody else might have it too, or has had an STI. Many of us have had STIs. Most of us have some, some form of HPV at some point in time. And so we just we need to destigmatize, and I, I want to talk a little bit about how we combat the stigma, uh, and how how do you feel when people make herpes jokes because they're everywhere. I know that in the past, I mean, I'm guilty of having made them, and you know now I'm a sex educator. So how does it feel when people joke around about herpes or make it the butt of a joke? I don't see it anymore. Surprisingly, it's kind of like before I became a personal trainer, everybody asked me, hey, are you a personal trainer? It's like, no. And now that I am one, nobody asks anymore. But <laughs> now that I'm so open about having herpes, um, I think that what it does is you, you kind of show the people who are around you that everyone may know someone who has herpes. And it was of very unlikely to a lot of people in my circle or even on Facebook when I opened up about it on there, everyone knows somebody who is living with herpes. And I think that we can begin to destigmatize it almost right away if everyone just had that realization like, oh, I know someone who does have herpes and here's what it means. And um, whenever I am faced, I think there were two times and those were like big media uh, conversations like um, the Usher thing came up and the NBA young boy who's a rapper uh, made a song or about having herpes. And there was someone on Instagram who was making jokes about NBA young boy coming out about having herpes. And so I, I went to the comments and this is what everyone says, don't do. So I go in the comments and I'm like, wow, people are assholes. So I just comment on that. I was like, hey, what you're saying is incorrect. That's not how this works. And then I just left it at that. And then someone replied, well, how does it work? So I took this as an opportunity to <laughs> put this whole entire paragraph and I shared a few statistics, which I usually stay away from because they're so conflicting and they're always changing. Um, and the language around it makes it very challenging as well, because a lot of people think that you can, uh, that HSV1 is always oral and HSV2 is always genital and that you can't 
get one in the other location. So okay. the statistics will say things like genital herpes, the population, uh, this much of the population has it, or HSV2, this much of the population has it. So it makes it challenging to have a conversation with someone around statistics, and then they go home and they do their Google searches and they see completely different language, which may make it look like to them that you're just trying to make yourself feel better about <laughs> having it by saying that more people have herpes than they really do. So what I try to do is whenever I see it publicly, if someone's making any kind of a herpes joke, I'll ask questions. You know, I, you don't, anyone can ask questions like, oh, well, why do you think that? Um, I had someone, like I was training and I played Usher's new album and I was really pumped about this Usher album. And <laughs> a client goes and it was very, it was, it was, she didn't know at the time. And I'm sure she doesn't know yet, but uh, she goes, yeah, I don't want to listen to that herpes, something along those lines. I was like, wow. Listen, that's not how that works. But you'll listen and, to R. Kelly? <laughs> well, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that was the case for her. <laughs> right? I mean, it's the art, not the artist until <laughs> that, that's oh, absurd. Right. Exactly. So, Plus, um, you're so good. I know. And the album's so good. I think it was just called <laughs> A. <laughs> but that, that conversation, it was irrelevant for me to go into the whole, well, I have herpes, so now what? Right. And then it would have just made her uncomfortable. uncomfortable. But um, it was one of those things where I was just like, that's not how that works. Here's how it works. Like, you're not going to catch herpes listening to Usher. So it's just a matter of being willing <laughs> to combat ignorance, you know? So you don't have to necessarily get uh, confrontational with anyone. You can ask questions. You can see where their head's at. And then you can go from there. Um, another time that I was combated with something, this was more on a first date with someone we met up uh we we're in line to go into the place that we're going to eat at and while we're in line i'm just making conversation i talk about my time uh, i lived in houston texas for three years and i moved back home to st louis missouri and in the line i'm just telling her oh you know i was in this uh support group for just like men it was a men's group and one of the guys was talking um a lot of the guys just have issues around dealing with people and one of the guys is like, yeah, I have so much sex. I, I have a problem not getting women. And the other guys are like, well, screw you, dude. And she cuts me off before I even make it to the point of the story. And it's like, mm, he's going to bring home an STD. I go, okay, well, we're done here. So <laughs> that was it. So it's a really good way of recognizing very judgmental people as well. And I know that those aren't the kinds of people who uh, fit well into my life and the kind of person I am. Wonderful. Yeah, that, that makes so much sense. I really appreciate that you're saying that one of the best ways to respond to any misinformation and ignorance uh, can be to ask a question, what would make you say that? So that applies to herpes, to STI jokes, to, to so many different areas. Um, now, before I let you go, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about sex and whether or not, if, if in any way sex changes with a herpes diagnosis. And I know, I'm not sure if you're on medication and I know that everybody's uh, treatment is different, but for you, just from your own experience, is this something you're comfortable discussing? Yeah, absolutely. So is sex, is sex different now? And if so, how is it different? And yeah. Yes, <laughs> sex is different. Sex is definitely different um, because I had to choose better partners because I had to decide who's going to be worth me disclosing to. So there's more, I've learned that, you know, not sex, there's more uh, to sex than 
physical contact. You know, there's the connection, being able to talk to someone. What's the mental connection, the emotional connection, spiritual connection even, before it even makes it to the physical in some cases. Of course, there's the physical attraction right then and there uh, sometimes. But what it's made me do is realize that I have to have uh, that conversation, of course. And in that conversation of STIs comes negotiations. You got your do's and your don'ts, and this is a good opportunity for disclosure to be made into something that can be sexy. So yeah, you go from talking about STIs to, okay, well, what do you like? Do you like being choked? Do you like your hair pulled? Do you like it slow? You want to kiss a lot? Like These are the kinds of conversations to be had. And in the times of an outbreak, there may be instances where you may have to get creative, maybe bring some toys into the bedroom or maybe uh, pull up some porn. There's all kinds of different things that you can do. Sex doesn't have to just be what I was programmed to believe. It, it, this is sex, penis into a vagina or into an or uh, and any kind of a a person's whole so orifice of your choice there you go <laughs> silver lining here with uh you know with the diagnosis in terms of how it's changed sex and maybe even opened up a few doors to things that you might not have been you know oh, considering for before. sure for sure and then it's connected me with different kinds of people like i've had an openness to meeting different kinds of people who may be into things that uh, were different to me or foreign to me at the time and being able to have sit down conversations about, you know, different things that they like, different things that I like and kind of bringing those into our shared space. It's been eye opening and it's definitely opened me up uh, to new experiences for sure that I would have just never considered prior to uh, my HSV diagnosis. And to answer your question about the medication, um, Time passes where you know your body. Uh, people I've spoken to who are on daily suppressives, they've had more outbreaks because they started the medication right after their diagnosis and really didn't give their bodies time to uh, respond to the virus. They didn't care to see how their body would uh, clear it on its own or clear an outbreak. And just the stress behind a daily reminder of a pill that says, hey, you have herpes. You know, that can be something that's triggering alone. And I've spoken to people who stopped doing that and they're like, oh, well, now I just take the medication as needed. And as far as uh, sex with partners goes, uh, there's always use condoms, let them know what the risks are. And um, I haven't always had to use condoms with partners just because I've given them the choice and they were uh, they were OK with the risk of not using protection. And this is something that people have to understand as well, that you as long as you're giving your other partner the choice and you're allowing them to make an informed decision, you guys can move forward uh, consensually based on that. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I, I see what I keep hearing from you over the course of this conversation is this power in vulnerability, the opening of doors in vulnerability. And it sounds like it makes you just a, a great person, a, obviously a very good partner, a strong communicator. And uh, I think a lot of people are really going to benefit not only from this conversation, but from all the work that you're doing. I understand you're going to be at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas on March 9th along with Laura Aisha, Ashley Manta, talking about making disclosure sexy. So I hope people come find you there. I certainly hope they give a listen to your podcast. I think that there's insights for people from all walks of life on the Something Positive for Positive People podcast. And other than that, where would you like people to find you? 
Yeah, I'm most active on Instagram, and the Instagram handle is H on my chest. And it looks like Han my chest, but it's Han. H on my chest. And a lot of people call me, they're like, hey, Han. I'm like, what? Yeah. Oh, that's what it is. Um, but that's where I'm most active. I'm on uh, Twitter and Reddit under the same uh, username at H on my chest. Uh, and if anyone wants to email me or has questions about disclosure or wants a question um, answered on the podcast, I can be found at Courtney, C O U R T N E Y W B R A M E at gmail.com. So that's just my first name, middle initial, last name at gmail.com. Perfect. And if anyone has trouble, we can link you as well. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, that was really great. Really informative. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me so much. I appreciate what you're doing. And I've learned a lot of things from listening to your podcast as well. Thank you. And now you're just hopefully you're adding to the insight. So appreciate it and have a great one. You as well. When it comes to breaking the stigma around herpes and STIs, you know, I think we all play a role, first of all, by not making it the butt of jokes, for starters, and more importantly, by discussing safer sex regardless of our known status. And I, I say known status because for many STIs, the most common symptom is no symptom at all. And so we need to not make assumptions about ourselves and others. I think it's interesting and concerning that, for example, Courtney and folks with a diagnosis are tasked with starting and ensuring that we have these conversations while those of us who don't know perhaps our status remain silent and don't take responsibility. So regardless of your status, get tested and start talking. I thought it was amazing how Courtney had all of these really awkward conversations with people that resulted in so much positive coming fr from them like about what people like sexually about you know just throwing it out there or admitting that that he has it and then other people admitting the same and even his podcast where people can share their stories and that weight being lifted from their shoulders once they've put it out there I mean not even thinking for a moment that people have contemplated suicide because of this diagnosis is heartbreaking and it's eye-opening like it's crazy for me to think of that somebody considered that because at the end of the day, this isn't as threatening or um, as uh, harmful, let's just say, as something that is a terminal disease. And for people to feel that they are considering suicide is, I don't know, I, I have a whole new, I have a whole new perspective on it now. Yeah. And you know, that, that talking piece, talking about sex is what leads to good sex. Talking about what you want and expect in a relationship is what leads to having your expectations met. And what struck me about Courtney's insights really was this theme of self-worth. And so this theme of self-worth arose from his diagnosis and his life experience. And I've encountered so many folks who feel unworthy and experience deep shame after a diagnosis or after any life challenge, like a breakup, and they have to work through these feelings to arrive at a place where they know they're worthy. They're worthy of self-love, worthy of love from a partner. And it not only seems like Courtney took a shortcut, but that he's carving out this path for others through his advocacy work and through his podcast. 
And he's also valuing himself and his relationships very differently, right? I thought that that was amazing that he was now figuring out in advance, like, is this somebody that is worth investing into? And how different of an approach is that before you get into any kind of relationship? Whether it be intimate or otherwise, I love that he doesn't waste his time or energy on trying to prove that he's worth it to others, but rather only puts his energy into people who are worth it for him. And when I hear that, I'm reminded that I need more of that, not in this relationship, not in this intimate relationship, but in life, socially, and in business. Uh, So what I'm taking away from this discussion, aside from the need to destigmatize STIs and make open communication a priority for health and happiness, is this message of knowing your worth and knowing that you shouldn't have to jump through hoops to be liked or loved. And and I, I know that I'm someone who maybe is is too focused on wanting to be liked, even by folks who I don't like. And this this just really resonates with me. So I'm going to sit with it for a bit, and I'm hoping to let his insights guide me in my work in the up and you know in how I even plan this podcast and upcoming topics because I'm always trying to make everybody happy. And, you know, my social schedule is too full and I'm just doing too much. And that's not me saying I'm selfless. I'm not selfless. I'm, it's more of a desperation. I learned that he really focuses in and works when things are good and not just when they're bad. Like I felt like he makes the effort at all times like he's not looking for things to be wrong before he starts to make a proactive change. Hmm. You, you know what I'm saying? Like it just—it seems as though he looks at the relationship and says, "You know, things are going really well. I want to continue investing into this and making it even better than it can be." So he's not waiting for a problem to arise to have uh, the conversation. Like I, I thought that was a really important point to to take out of it. Absolutely, we are so reactive in relationships and sex instead of proactive, and he's got that figured out. So yeah, I think really a lot to take out of this conversation. Even proactive in terms of the disclosure in advance of, of getting into a relationship with somebody like before you, you, you know, you're, you're going to have, you're going to be intimate. Right. You're like, look, here it is. And the honesty and the integrity coming through there because, you know, I'm sure some people don't disclose. Absolutely. And, and again, those of us who have not been tested lately, that is tantamount to not disclosing because you don't always know if you have an STI. And again, we, you know, STI, we treat STIs like there's something so much more tragic than the common cold or flu when, you know, you take a look at chlamydia, for example, and it's just penicillin you've got to take to cure chlamydia. Uh, and we see chlamydia as so much worse than a common cold, but there isn't penicillin. You know, you can't cure a common cold as easily and in such a straightforward way. So... I thank Courtney uh, for being here. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Desire, of course, for your support. And thanks, babe. Thank you. I learn so much every time we get to talk to somebody new. It's great. I can see it in your eyes. Can you? Yes. I always (laughs) see Brandon's eyebrows lift. He's like, what? Uh Oh. So thank you so much. Have a great week wherever you're at. We'll be back next Friday and every Friday, I promise, almost every Friday. I'm going to say 51 out of 52 Fridays a year. It's a big commitment. No, I've got that. You got it. I can follow through. Thanks so much, folks. Have a great one. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life. Improve your life.